We're not the same, you know, we, we add to the number of black professionals, but how we choose to be a professional is different. And I just think that's really cool. There are people who need to see me and they need to see me being myself, being black, being a man, being queer and all of these things. They need to see that to really understand that it's normal and it's fine. My brand really is changing what a lawyer looks like. I want to walk into a conference room wearing gold chains, you know, gold watch and some sneakers, right? I want to make you leave whatever negotiation it is, feeling like, like, damn, cat with the, with the sneakers came in and tore me up. Welcome back to the DEI podcast. I'm Max Gaston. Jakeem Aaron is the former president of the Notre Dame Black Law Students Association, commonly known as BALSA. Joshua Mannery is president of the Notre Dame Law School's Student Bar Association, or the SBA. And Jamal Wilson is vice president of the Notre Dame Sports and Entertainment Law Forum. It's not often that you get a chance to hear from black men who are law students, lawyers, about what their perspectives and experiences are. And so the three of these gentlemen and I are going to be talking about the experience of being a black man in law school, in the legal profession, in the United States, given all the social, cultural, political aspects of the climate that we are living in nowadays. Okay, so gentlemen, I'm really excited to have all three of you here on the podcast with me. Jakeem, I'll start with you. I want you to tell me what it means for you to have this conversation about, about your experiences. It's super important to have this conversation for me particularly, um, because I know coming into law school, like I did not have any black men mentors who were in the legal space or in the legal form. Um, so like for me, I do kind of feel like I came into school blind because we weren't having conversations like this. So it was a lot of things that I've learned um, just through my own experience. And I just really feel like for the black men that are coming up behind us, it's super, super important that we, you know, center this experience and that we have conversations sort of delving into um, what this looks like. Josh, what about you? I think the perspective of being at least one of the younger black men in my class, um, I, it's really cool to be able to hear the perspective uh, of some people who have experienced a little bit more than myself and, and kind of have that that conversation and compare our experiences from across the country. Um, so I'm just looking forward to hearing what everybody has to offer. And uh, like Jakeem said, these types of conversations are, are really special. So it's a privilege to be a part of it. Mm. Jamal, what does it mean for you to be having this conversation? I think coming into a profession like this, and honestly, any profession that doesn't consist of a lot of us, um, it's, it's rare, but it's also, it can also feel like when you're going through, it can also feel kind of isolating because again, you might have other people who are lawyers and who are going through this experience who, who might have similar experiences, even amongst us where there are other black men, um, or black students, we all have different experiences and we might not even relate to each other in, in a, in a full way. Um, so, so it's good to kind of hear what those, even what those different perspectives are amongst us. Um, and, and realizing that again, we're not a monolith and that there's a lot, you know, there's a, there's a lot to us than just our skin color, um, and kind of like what a lot of the stereotypes are about us. So I think it's, I think it's important as well. 
what is that experience like? Jamal, you touched on it a, a little bit, but you know, to be a black man in law school, knowing you are in the minority, because virtually any top law school that you go to in the United States is going to be a predominantly white institution. What's that experience like? Yeah, um, I would say like, in, in a lot of ways, it almost feels like some form of resistance, right? I think that there is this idea of what black men and, and black families should look like. And especially from my perspective, um, I played, I played sports my whole life, football. Um, you know, I was that guy just like, oh, that's the guy who plays football and that sort of thing. And nobody ever looked at me as, as something different. And I think that that, um, at least again, and you know, and, and where I grew up, like that was, that was, that was pretty normal, pretty standard, right? You're either going to play football, you're either going to rap, you either part of the life, um, you know, the street life. Um, it, there wasn't a lot of us doing these, these extra things. So I, I, when I'm, when I'm in school and, and, and in that experience, I look at it like, I'm almost, I almost feel like an activist. Like you don't expect me to be here. Right. I've, I've done all the things that like, I think like a lot of my, uh, my non-black male peers, um, kind of probably look at me like, wow, he's played, he's played football at the highest level. Right. He, you know, he, um, he's done things that I wish I could have done and he's here. Um, I think that that, you know, that's, that says a lot. And I, and I, I think it's important for us to show up in those spaces. Like, cause I think for a lot of, a lot of time too, I always felt like shrinking myself in those spaces, right. To, to kind of make somebody else feel more comfortable. Um, and I think that that has been a disservice, right. I, I feel, always felt like it was important to not only be in those spaces, right. And not just be another, another another number, right? Or another another law student in that space. But if I'm gonna show up in that space, I'm gonna show up as me and I'm gonna show up in a way that says I'm here or even as black men that we're here and you, um, you're gonna listen to us, right? You're gonna listen to our perspective, right? And you're not, we're not gonna let you just overpower the conversation and kind of just look at us like, oh, he's just another number or he's just here to meet the numbers perspective. But no, he's here. And he's contributing and he's going to come for me if he needs to. So I think that that's it. It's important for us to to acknowledge that. Mm. Jakeem, Josh, what do you all think about that? I love the idea of being in this space, you know, sort of being an act of resistance. I'll say prior to coming to law school, like I never thought about it, you know, really in that way. Um, it's interesting because I think that just when you're a minority, you're used to being underrepresented. So it's not something that's necessarily um, jarring, you know? Um, of course, I went to a liberal arts school, a uh, small liberal arts school for undergrad. Um, and then I worked in, you know, the private sector doing some uh, consulting prior to coming to law school. So that being said, it wasn't abnormal um, to be underrepresented, but I think that the degree of underrepresentation in the legal space is something that I, I was not prepared for. Um, I think that you hear, you know, the numbers of, you know, all oh, 5% of all practicing attorneys are black um, and maybe half of that, you know, are black men. Right. Um, and like, I think, you know, of course it sounds staggering, but actually experiencing it, like really realizing that, you know, people don't understand your experience or they don't understand the lens um, within which that you look at life and therefore the law and oh by the way they don't need to like you know what I mean like I think it's the interesting part of like 
navigating law school or navigating the legal profession, like even though you're being prepared to advocate for everyone, no one really cares about your personal experience. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because I think that outside of the legal profession, the rest of the world is sort of moving towards this um, notion of just representation and censoring everyone's experience and so on and so forth. And I think that law is kind of late to that. And you would think that, you know, the legal profession would be leading that charge. But, you know, of course, the culture within the law is just so um, pervasive. And it's just such a, a stronghold that, you know, it honestly just centers a white male experience. You know what I mean? So like kind of navigating that and being in the middle of that space and trying to understand the dynamics, but still bring something um, authentic to the experience has been, it can be challenging, um, but I also think that it even reaffirms why we're needed, like why we need to have representation um, in the legal field and in law school and so on and so forth, because there is a blind spot regarding our perspective. I think my perspective is colored by a few things. One, in undergrad, I went to a PWR, like Jakeem, Jakeem said, University of Mississippi. So I'm also used to being in an, in an environment where my face isn't the majority. Uh, but I didn't actually connect connect with that many Black males in my undergrad experience. In fact, I often felt not not cast aside, but uh, I felt like there were some barriers there in forming some of those more substantive connections. I wasn't in a fraternity. Uh, a lot of the extracurricular activities I did were uh, a majority white organizations, you know, student government. I was the orientation leader for campus, uh, things like that. You know, I had a relationship with uh, the Black Student Union um, and, and I love the community, but I think what, what I was most passionate about, I wasn't surrounded by a lot, a lot of people who look like me. So. I, when I came to Notre Dame, uh, I made an intentional effort to forge those connections and to be a little bit more connected with, uh, with the black community. And so I, I definitely treasure, uh, treasure my experience here and I treasure forming or forming those relationships with other black men. Uh, but also to Jamal's point, because of that underrepresentation, to me, every day is an achievement. You know, every single thing that I do is that much more of an accomplishment because of the fact that I am a black male in a space where, you know, the majority might not think that I belong. I remember having a conversation with a one L black, black male who was feeling a lot of doubt uh, because he had received comments from white men about his place in particular organizations and his capacity to uh, succeed. And he was feeling very uh, doubtful about his ability to be at Notre Dame. And I told him the fact that you're here like you did what you needed to do. And, and if you graduate, you did everything that society told you that you weren't supposed to do. So anything that you do extra, it's just, you know, icing on the cake. So that's kind of how I see it. You know, I, I really treasure everybody around me. I treasure being here and I, I don't take any of it for granted. You know what you're saying about the student you were encouraging? It makes me think of how and how and where black men show up in the law. Because we know black men are drastically underrepresented in the legal profession, but then, of course, overrepresented in the numbers of incarcerated people uh, and those negatively impacted by the criminal legal system. And, you know, that disparity, I think, is probably one of the unfortunate things that creates the low expectation in people's minds. 
we don't expect to see black men in a place like law school. If anything, black men are found on the other side of the legal system. And so, you know, kind of like what you're talking about, people see you doing certain things, for instance, not just being in law school, but being president of a major student organization. And and maybe they're surprised to see you showing up in that space because they don't expect that. How do you all respond to that surprise someone has when they see you in a space they don't expect you to be in? I mean, like, kind of get on your nerves because, you know, to me, I always, when I realize that somebody is looking at me funny or saying something that tells me they just didn't expect to see me there, I, I kind of get annoyed. So, Jamal, how do you respond to people not expecting to see you at Notre Dame as president of a major student organization, you know, being a great leader and doing things that they typically don't expect a black man to do? I always, always laugh at it. It's always, it's always funny to me that somebody in 2023 would think that me showing up in a space that they didn't expect me to show up in was like this, this big deal that they would even, again, that they would even have the audacity to, to not expect me to show up, um, to something. I, and I wish I could come up with something like any anecdotal right now, but, um, we like, and I think that's what, that's what also makes having a black community around you important, right. And, and fostering that and not, not being the only black person in, in a space because now I can like, because I can't go to the white faces and or the other, you know, whatever faces are in a room and say, like, like, why did you guys, uh, why did you guys react that way? Or right? why did you, why, you know, why was this your reaction? But I can go to Jakeem and Josh, you know, and Max and say, like, can you believe what just happened in this room? Right. And we can talk about it and we can share experiences. Right. And we can support each other, support each other through that and laugh about that and, and just kind of kind of think like wow like this is really this is really what we're still we're still dealing with and i and i think that's what um and we will and and i hope hopefully we'll talk about some of this stuff and like we don't i don't know if we live in a post-racial you know post-racial post-racism society right i don't think that we are at that point right i think race play does still play a huge part in how we interact and um you know and i don't know look you know view each other um, in even professional spaces and and, and non-professional spaces. So I, I, th I think it's funny whenever it happens. And then and then you go and then you show up and you you do more, right? You do more than what they expect, right? Because the one thing is showing up and then another thing is showing up and showing out, right? And like giving them even something something more to talk about. Um, and I think kind of even going going a step beyond. But yeah, it's always funny. Well, to me, it two points. The first is somebody who still battles with a lot of imposter syndrome. I, I'm just as surprised as they are, not because I know I'm not capable, but because I often still tell myself that I am not capable. Um, and so like, I'm going to get there with them. I'm like, I, I can't believe I am the SBA president. We really made it. Like, <laughs> I, I woke up like this. Uh, but it's funny to me in that regard because um, it's just funny where the perspective is different, where, they, where they're similar. But then two, uh, to Jamal's point about uh, the importance of having that Black community to rely on, I like to redirect their surprise that they're being whoever doesn't 
it's surprised that I'm in that space that I'm achieving the way that I am. I like to redirect that surprise and use it to catapult catapult somebody else, you know, to or to get into the space to get into their own space to do what they need to do to be great. Because it's it's very impactful to say that you know what I am only the third X Y Z president. I am the second person, the second black male, second black person on my review. Here's what I did, and then here's how you can do it too, so that we can have a third, fourth, and fifth. Um, and I think you, you leave the surprise at the door, and, and you just diffuse it into the accomplishment and turn that to somebody else's success. Um, and so I, I think all of that to say that if there is this kind of air of, of, of disbelief, I think that helps feed into the inspiration for somebody else. Um, so it, it's important to, to leverage and use it for your advantage. It just adds to the story. I think I'm somewhere between Josh and Jamal's perspectives because I don't know. Like, I think that when, you know, you kind of are met with that disbelief or that, oh, wow, you know, I love it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me because I think that the, at every era of my life since childhood, I can point to a moment where I was performing above what I was expected to do. You know what I mean? And I think that that really, you know, goes back to how I was raised. Um, I was raised by a single mother that was like, you're not going to be a statistic. And she did everything that she could to make sure that I had every advantage academically and professionally um, so I can be competitive with anyone. And I think that that being said, I never, it never even really permeates. You know what I mean? When I feel like I'm met with, you know, um, I guess just pushback in terms of like, why are you here? Because it's like, if you give me a shot, I'll show you why I'm here, right? So it's not something that I really actively grapple with. But I do think that to Josh's point, most of my challenges are probably internal. You know what I mean? Of really like me just sort of wrapping my mind around, I can actually do this. I can actually make this happen. Like now that I've kind of, you know, written the check and made the commitment, now I got to figure out how to, you know, how to really come in and, you know, really, really show what I can do. So I think that if anything, it's more so just pushing back against the racist infrastructure of this country in terms of just knowing that a lot of your competitors have been given a ton of advantages that you just may not have had access to um, and sort of overcoming that. That's what I think I, you know, deal with more and what I have to like navigate. But in terms of just like the individual interactions of people who don't know me from a can of paint, you know what I mean? I may just be a piece of paper to them or what have you um, with them just kind of being surprised or impressed or whatever, I, I feel like you should be impressed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that, that being said, um, that's not something that really tends to annoy me, but it's just more so, it just kind of fuels me to kind of go a little bit harder. Hmm. I don't know if y'all remember a few years ago when Beyonce was headlining Coachella and, you know, she was on the microphone and said something like, I'm so honored, I'm so proud to be the first black woman headlining Coachella, you know, and then she she took a beat and she said, but isn't that about a bleep? <laughs> like, like, you know, like, isn't that a fill in the expletive here that in 2018, I think it was, that I'm the first one? It just, it just makes me think about, I don't know what you would call it, maybe first fatigue, you know, like, 
the fatigue of always being the first or one of the first to blaze a trail and kind of like, you know, what Jamal was saying in 2023, the audacity that in 2023 for me to have to be the first in, you know, in this year where there were many qualified, capable people who came before me who maybe should have been here, but were stopped for one reason or another. I know it's a long road that we have ahead of us, and so there's a lot more work to do, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's It still annoys me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's great to prove people wrong, but it's a frustrating statistic is what I'm saying. Yeah. It sucks. Um, one of, like one of the things, another approach to, and kind of to your, to your point, Max, is like sometimes like, I feel like I actually don't know what, um, I guess like people of color or even, um, black professionals or even just black people in general, I don't know what we would do without a little bit of that. I don't know, like at that chip on our shoulder, right? Of like like really walking into a space where we know there's not gonna be that many of us and we know that they're gonna have, you know, certain expectations of us. And I don't know, I guess approaching that, approaching that challenge like we've done with everything else, right? Like when we walk out the when we walk out the door in the morning, we know that there's a potential that we might get stopped by a cop and we might not make it home at the end of that night, right? And and we do it anyway, right? And we step into these spaces anyway. Um, and I think, and I think, and I, and I don't know, I just, I see those numbers and yes, it's sad and yes, it sucks, but like, like it looks like we're the generation that has to step up to that challenge, right? We have, we're the generation that has to make sure that the, the generation that follows us is able to continue that. Um, and to, and to look at that, you know, I, I think I see a challenge, right. And not necessarily a deficiency. Um, but like, this is where we are and I guess in order to make it, you know, to make it better, we have to figure out, you know, how to rise to that challenge. I think it's also interesting that once we actually get into, into the legal profession, that there are certain spaces where there is a need for a first that sometimes not just black males, but black students in general will reject simply because it's not something that they want to accomplish. Um, something like law review, anything journal-based, something like moot court, um, you know, a lot of these sub-genres of the, of the legal profession, at least of the law school experience, where we just don't want, we just don't want to do it. You know, it can mean a lot if we accomplish it, but maybe we just don't want to be on the journal. Um, and so it's interesting to see, I think there is a collective sense of we're in this space because we need to be in this space once we get to law school, but, you know, once we're living the day-to-day, we choose how we want to apply the fact that we're here and maybe we just choose to keep it internal and we go the BOSA route. I'm BOSA 1L rep, I'm BOSA president, I'm BOSA this and that, and I don't really want to do much else. Or you have somebody else who's like, you know what, maybe we need somebody on new court. Um, and maybe I need to be the first black woman to ever be president of new court. So I, I just find that, that duality um, uh, fascinating because we're not the same you know, we we add to the number of black professionals, but how we choose to be a professional is different. And I just think that's really cool. I mean, what you're saying that I'm really resonating with is that we all share the common experience of being black men, but 
we show up differently because we are different people. And so somebody's going to have the Martin Luther King nonviolent approach. Somebody else is going to have the Malcolm X fight me bro, right? And, you know, there are countless other perspectives between and outside of that. There are some of us who say you need to be a part of the system to change the system. And then there are some who say, no, you don't need to be a part of the system. You can start your own thing. And I think that that's what you're talking about here. Because there are some students who say, yeah, I don't want to be on a journal. I don't want to do moot court. I don't want to do any of those things. Jakeem, what do you think about that idea? Um, I think it's important to, whether you're the first, second, or third, in whatever space that you may find yourself in, I think it's important to not be afraid to do it differently. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is this. I think a lot of us that have kind of been on, you know, this track towards what I guess is considered success, we've been taught respectability politics, specifically as black people. You know what I mean? Like basically the idea is get as close to whiteness as you can to be successful, right? And I think that especially as we're kind of just progressing as a society um, and moving forward in these spaces, I think that we have to be okay with being maybe the first or second or um, black man on law review or in moot court or what have you, but still being okay with bringing something original and authentic to that space. You know what I mean? So I think that a part of why we're still met with surprise or a part of why like we're still not accepted is because a lot of times we get to these successful planes, these success or these, you know, levels of success or what have you, and we don't make a mark. You know what I mean? We're afraid to be original. We're afraid. And I think that in doing that, we're kind of afraid to open the door for the next person. And I feel like it's important in these spaces that we occupy to be unapologetically black. You know what I mean? And to really think about, okay, what can, you know, sort of like Jamal was mentioning, what can my experience and what can my grit, you know, how does that support me bringing in another angle to this work? Like, I think um, even this past year, um, I did an intensive trial advocacy class and it was, as the name suggests, intense. So, and I, you know, for my first trial, I had to do um, a closing argument and I was sort of seeing how other people were navigating it. And I was just kind of trying to figure it out because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I thought about, so, well, maybe my approach can be that of like what I've seen in church, right? So I was like, I'm going to model my closing argument after you know, a Baptist preacher, because I know, I know that cadence. I know what that feels like. And I can sort of find my groove in that space. And in doing that, I was like, okay, this is a great way for me to distinguish myself from what everyone else is doing, but it still feels very natural to me. And it's a way for me to honestly, like do well, you know what I mean? And kind of, you know, just keep it fresh. So I think that like sort of taking chances like that, you know what I mean? In every aspect of this experience, I think, um, it takes a lot of courage, but it also, I think, sustains a larger payoff. So that's something that I try to do um, and that I would encourage my peers to do as well. Sometimes you are the first, but when you're the first, the pressure of that title and people looking at you and making expectations for how well you're going to perform or how everybody's watching to see how you're going to do because you know, you're the first one in that role, maybe limits how flexible you are and how free you feel like you can be when you're in that role. That's really interesting because 
you know, you think about people like Barack Obama, who, you know, there were so many things that he accomplished, but there was so much that he couldn't do and that he couldn't say because everyone was watching him be the first black president of the United States and, you know, just waiting for him to make a mistake. I want to explore that idea. And maybe for you, Josh, coming in as student bar association president, I mean, is that something that you think about? You know, how free do you feel like you can be as a black man holding that important title? I just think about the fact that I didn't achieve the positions that I've obtained because I adhered to what was safe. Um, I did everything that felt the most comfortable to me. I didn't have to go to bar review every Thursday. I didn't have to shake hands and drink beers with half the law school to achieve this position. I was simply Josh. You know, people know that I like what I like. I like movies. I like food. And that's it. You know, um, I invested in what I wanted to invest in. So I'm not going to change that now that I have the position because that's not what got me the position. And it was the same for undergrad. And so I, I think without talking too much about it, that's it. I don't feel a pressure to do what the past and presidents did. Hmm. One of the things that you said a couple of times was, I was just me. You know, I was just doing my own thing. I want to talk about brand identity for a moment because, you know, we're living nowadays in a climate where everyone has a brand. Every basketball player has a brand. Every politician, every chef, barber, law professor has a brand. And so you as law students, you know, you're individuals, you have your own personalities, your own perspectives, your own practice interests. And the way that you put yourselves out there, not just in law school, but in the world, on social media, in your public-facing identity, how do you shape who you are when you say, Josh, yeah, I was just me? You know, what does that brand look like? And how do you, how do you form that brand? And Jamal, maybe you can take this one first since you're someone who I think from your first summer internship was working in a law firm, right? So, you know, you were in a professional space where you had to really be mindful of the way that you were putting yourself out there and how you were carving out an identity that that other people would, would see and respect. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I thought about this a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's something that I, like, again, have specifically curated. Um, it's just something that's kind of been a part of my character, characteristics, right, for the majority of my life. Um, and I think um, when I was applying to law school, I had uh, this advisor who would look at my personal statements and, you know, all of my all of my application materials. Um, and, he, and he was a, um, I want to say he was like a um, East Indian guy. And he, um, like, just reading my materials, he was like, like, you're like a guy that I would, I would love to have a beer with. Right. Like, and I think that's kind of the way I, I see myself, right? Like no, no matter what color skin you are, what background you're from, I want to be a guy again, that you can, um, that, that you can relate to, right. That we can talk about anything, right. I can, I want to be able to move in and out of talking about, um, wall street journal, um, the news of the wall street journal, right. What's happening in an economy all the way to, you know, what's happening on uh, IBF, right? The, the news of, of, of black, uh, you know, black entertainment, right? What's going on in, in black music on black Twitter, that sort of thing. 
Um, you know, I want, I'm, I'm that guy. Right. But I'm also, um, it's very important to me that it's kind of like the lawyer, a lawyer of the people, right. Um, a person of the people that like the, the one big thing that I, I always talk, cause I was also in politics a little bit before law school. And like the thing that I always talked about, like when my, especially my family, my community, when I talked about becoming a lawyer and being in, in politics, it was always like, oh, they're crooked people. And you, you know, you can't trust them. And I want you to be really good or whatever it is. Um, you know, and the, 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 the fact of the matter is, especially where I'm from, people don't trust lawyers. People don't trust politicians. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's the way they come off, the way they approach again, just a, a perspective on it, but my brand really is changing what a lawyer looks like. I want to walk into a conference room wearing gold chains, you know, gold watch and some sneakers, right? I want to make you leave whatever negotiation it is feeling like, like, damn, cat with the, with the sneakers came in and tore me up, right? I want to be able to go meet with a client who's never met with a lawyer before and realize like, like, wow, like this is what, um, you know, this was what rep representation can look like, right? Like I felt good about that experience. I wasn't fearful. I was able to, you know, talk to him about whatever it is I was going on and, you know, get my needs met and that sort of thing. So I, I like to build a brand. So that's why it's important for me to consume a lot of content from a lot of different places. And when I, again, if I'm on social media or if I'm in the public, those are things that I'm doing. I'm, I'm posting things that I feel like kind of bring me into a lot of different spaces because you never know what's those, but at the core of it, it's, I'm still going to show up as Jamal from, you know, Jamal who played football for 18 years of his life from um, Compton, Southern California, West Coast. Like you don't know that that that's me, but you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still going to show up and do what I need to do. You know, I love that idea of changing what a lawyer is in the eyes of the world. And, and in particular, in the eyes of, of black communities, where if we don't have a lot of lawyers in our family, we do think, okay, maybe lawyers are untrustworthy. Or if they are trustworthy, you still have a limited view of what a lawyer is, right? So you think maybe Thurgood Marshall banging on the table in the courtroom, and you don't realize that lawyers can be so much more than that. You know, there can be corporate attorneys, in-house counsel, regulatory. You know, there's a lot of different things that a lawyer can do. The other thing I think that's really great about what you said is this idea of, you know, being that competent, experienced, qualified individual who rolls in there with, you know, a gold Rolex and gold chain and some sneakers. Like, to me, it's kind of, you know what Jay-Z was doing when he started to grow his hair out and he let his locks sort of lock up naturally and you know, he wasn't really looking after them in this very thoughtful, careful way and he was just sort of letting it grow and, you know, be natural. And at first we were all saying to ourselves, that looks kind of like a mess. And, you know, maybe some of us are still saying that now, but at the same time, Jay-Z is a billionaire. He's this highly successful, capable businessman. And, you know, he doesn't just do music. He does all these other different things. And he doesn't look like what you would expect someone who has his degree of success to look like. That, I think, is what you're saying and what you're trying to do. And, and I love that idea. What about you, Jakeem? How do you cultivate your brand? And how do you how do you show up in the world? That's a good question. And it's a difficult question for me because I'm such a 
I consider myself to be someone who, you know, likes to be in the background. You know what I mean? Like before I came to law school, I was in project management and all of that was, um, was just assessing needs and sort of proposing prop or proposing solutions. You know what I mean? And really trying to get the client to where they wanted to be. So like that for me was, you know, kind of my framework of, you know, what I plan to do after law school. And that's kind of what drew me to the law school space. But that being said, I never really thought about branding. And I'll say that um, Jamal is a friend of mine, but he's also a mentor for me in terms of that space because he's always on me like, okay, this is how you should be. Like, this is how you should be um, marketing yourself. You know what I mean? In terms of like, these are things that you should promote or what have you. And I, Max, you also do that for me as well. Because even being, you know, at Notre Dame, I've been fortunate to accomplish a lot of things, right? But that being said, um, I don't necessarily always, my first thought is not necessarily to publicize everything that it is that I'm doing. So I've had to learn how to become more intentional in that space. But I also will say, I guess kind of going back to the previous question where we were talking about, you know, being the first and sort of navigating those things, it's, it's heavy to commodify your actual personality. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't do things necessarily because I want to develop a brand. I do things because I like to do it. You know what I mean? Like when I became um, the president of BALSA, I did it because I definitely thought that there was a space um, where advocacy was needed for our community. And I saw ways in which I could, you know, meet that end. To me, it was just like doing project management before coming into school. It was just doing it with a different client. You know what I mean? And serving a different community. So that being said, you know, that's kind of was my process into going into the space. Um, but like kind of being responsible for, you know, sort of developing a brand in that, you know, that could definitely be, um, that could definitely be challenging. But I think I've realized that, you know, a part of what I bring is just being a problem solver. You know what I mean? And I had a mentor that sort of broke it down for me in terms of just sort of being like, that is your brand. You know what I mean? You come in, you analyze situations, you see what's wrong, and you're really, really skilled at basically pulling together a lot of resources and packaging like a very specific. Yes. So are you saying you're Olivia Pope? <laughs> um, no, you're saying I'm Olivia Pope and I'm not disagreeing. Um, you know, but yeah, and packaging specific solutions and, you know, and then kind of just go moving on to the next. And it's like a lot of people um aren't able to do that but i don't think i ever saw that skill set as something that was special it was just something that i liked to do so i think that i'm still in the process of developing and defining what my brand is um and just sort of letting it be natural like not looking at it like oh this is an additional step that i have to take but more so looking at it like this is just a part of the process right and learning how to enjoy honestly like having so many eyes on me and like learning how to like navigate um navigate you know just kind of uh those types of spaces so it's it's definitely a work in progress but i will say that law school for me has teased a lot of those things out um in a way that like my experiences prior to this moment had mm. yeah i want to touch on something one word that you said in particular that i think is really interesting which is mentorship but before we go into that uh josh why don't you weigh in yeah so normally i hate being lumped in with gen z uh but one of the perks of being a gen z um you know product is that i grew up surrounded by young people 
who are influencers first, and then they venture into other forays second, as opposed to a Jay-Z who started off doing something like music, then became a businessman or an ice cube, a Snoop Dogg or something like that. I bring that up to say that for young influencers now, their brand is just who they are. They just wake up, post content, and they, they get success from it. They don't really have to do much more else than that because they can leverage social media in that way. And so because of being, I'm a product of Gen Z, I've been able to understand that your story is different from your brand. Uh, and that was something that really played me, you know, applying to law school, navigating those later years of undergrad, where I assumed that because my story wasn't the most interesting, you know, I grew up with both parents. I just, I just went to public school. I wasn't doing much special throughout the community. I assumed that that was a testament to what my brand was and that it, it brought down the appeal and marketability um, of my brand. But once I learned that those are two distinct things, I learned that I don't really have to do much to nurture my brand. I just show up as I am, like I mentioned earlier. And and that's it. You know, every every action that I make, it's just something that I would have done anyway. And it contributes to who I am, which is I'm a pretty, you know, carefree, responsible, determined guy. And, and that's it. If I'm if I'm intentional about anything, it's the fact that I do recognize that a lot of times I'm the only Mississippian in the room. I'm the only Mississippian in the law school, for example, uh, which at first made me sad, but I think it makes me even more intentional in just being a positive person because every uh, impression that I make on somebody is subconsciously leaving an impression on how they perceive the state of Mississippi. So I have to be extra careful in that regard. And I also have to dispel some rumors and clear up some misconceptions. Uh, people don't expect much from Mississippi. And so I show them that we can also be great. You know, I, I didn't grow up in California. I didn't grow up in New York. Just because I didn't grow up on a coast doesn't mean that I can't be great, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm intentional about that and, and, and commodifying that I'm a Mississippian. But besides that, you know, I don't, I don't take it like Jakeem and Jamal said to go above and beyond to invest in the brand. my brand is just who I am. There are a lot of interesting threads in what you just said. Something that I think is particularly interesting for me is the idea that, okay, so I didn't grow up in a single parent household. I grew up with both parents. You know, we weren't poor and, you know, I went to a regular public school. Life was fine. And maybe that's not interesting to people. And is that going to be an issue when I'm trying to put myself out there in the world and be considered for different opportunities. So often we as black men have to fit into a stereotype of struggle and resilience to get people's attention and to succeed, right? And, you know, in addition to being qualified, you often have to have a story of adversity in order to get people's attention and get them to want to listen to you, get them to give you a chance, right? And you know, that doesn't tend to be the case with some other identity groups. I mean, you know, when does a white guy have to have adversity in order to catch your attention in a personal statement? Or can he just really be an intelligent person who is interested in what he wants to do? What I'm really seeing with you, Josh, is in some ways you as a Gen Z black male law student are a product of previous generations of hard work that you don't have to come from the lowest of lows, rising to the highest of highs as a black person in order to 
be considered interesting or deserving of an opportunity speaks so much to progress that's been made in trying to normalize black people in spaces that have historically been reserved for people other than us. So, yeah, shout out to your experience. I think that that's really great. And yeah, and just to add, um, I guess to, to, you know, just sort of thinking about what Josh shared, what I also found is that authenticity is interesting to people. You know what I mean? People are interested in in nuance and people are just interested in what makes you tick, whatever that may be. You know what I mean? Like one thing I've heard since being in school is just um, people are like, oh, you come across as really trustworthy. And I was like, okay, like I, I didn't really know what to do with that. And then like, but through continued conversations, people were just like, because I don't feel like you're ever trying to sell me something. I don't feel like you're trying to like go out of your way to, you know, sell a narrative or to curate something and market yourself. So because of that, I'm already drawn to you. And I just trust whatever it is that you share because it doesn't feel like, you know, there's another agenda there. So it's like, even in, I think my absence of branding, there's a brand, right? So I think that like, these are all pieces that any, anyone can take, of course, from this conversation of just, you don't necessarily have to have the adversity piece, or you don't necessarily have to have like all of these different pieces to sort of set yourself apart. Um, but I do think it goes back to what we mentioned earlier in the conversation of just maintaining authenticity and whatever it is that you do and not being afraid to, I guess, um, you know, just be big. Because one thing I will say about myself is if you offer me a stage, I'm going to take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is not because I like being center stage, but it is because I feel like there are people who need to see me and they need to see me being myself, being black, being a man, being queer and all of these things. They need to see that to really understand that it's normal and it's fine. You know what I mean? So I think that like all of those things being said again, like I think the smartest thing to do is just to let your brand be intentional about your brand, but just let it develop naturally. And I think that that's what we've all um, been able to accomplish. Um, and I think that that's really what, you know, kind of sets us apart, not only as leaders, but just as, you know, students, law students. And that's it for part one of our Black Man's Roundtable discussion. Thanks for listening. The DEI podcast at Notre Dame Law School is produced by Notre Dame Studios. We release episodes every two weeks where we talk to leaders, professionals, attorneys, psychologists about topics that are important for all of us. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to the podcast to get notified every time a new episode comes out. And tune in next time to catch part two of our Black Men's Roundtable discussion with Joshua, Jakeem, and Jamal. Until then, take care.